two, three into the four. Snoop Doggy Dogg and Dr. Dre is at the dope. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Before I have to pull the strap off the cut. What Give is going on, everybody? Another good song choice by Rodwell. Episode number three of the 77 WABC Sports Podcast with your host, MD. Still need to name the podcast. I'll probably just end up naming it the MD Podcast, but that's a story for another day. Today we'll be doing NFL Draft, Jet, and Giant stuff, and I have two guests today. My first guest, really excited for this one, John Stremski, formerly of The Fan, now with The Ringer. John, I appreciate you joining me. Thank you. My pleasure. Happy to be on. Let's rock. Let's have some fun. Busy week. Let's do it. Yeah, super busy week. And funny enough, we actually were supposed to do this at 1 and we pushed it back to 140. And I put on SNY while I'm waiting and I see you on SNY talking about the Brooklyn Nets. And we'll get into the Giants right after this. But what the hell happened to the Nets? Uh, They lost to a flat out better team. That's what it boils down to. The Boston Celtics got better. As each month went along, they had cohesion. They played defense. They knew each other. Brooklyn was all sorts of disjointed. Their star players did not play well enough in this series. I expected Boston to win. I'm not the least bit surprised that they won. What I am surprised about is how easily they won this series. Never in a million years did I think this would end up being a four-game sweep. So, listen, three years into the KD-Kyrie partnership, it has been a monumental flop in Brooklyn. That can change. They can rewrite that history. But right now, it's been an out-and-out disaster. I totally agree with you. The better team definitely won. And I, I thought it would have been a better series. The Celtics won by a combined 17 points in the four-game set. So all four games were close. But yesterday, you kind of had the feeling that the Nets really had no chance to win. Obviously, Ben Simmons, a hot name right now. He was set to return for game four. Then he had a back flare up. What's your take on this whole Simmons saga? I don't think he likes basketball, quite frankly. And the idea that Brooklyn believed that Ben Simmons was going to be like the the conquering hero in this series was comical. And for any Nets fan to believe that, I mean, they clearly were not paying attention to Ben Simmons last year when he wanted no part of playing against the Atlanta Hawks and basically couldn't lay in a ball or dunk a ball, for goodness sake. So, yeah, Simmons just doesn't love the sport and those are the sort of guys I don't want on my team any which way sad to see sad to see one more NBA question before we go into the NFL who's your pick to win the NBA title wow it was Phoenix before the Booker injury now if I had to give you a team I'd probably say the Boston Celtics love it now if Booker comes back I'm sticking with Phoenix but I don't know if he's coming back Am I allowed that disclaimer? Is I'm, that going to be okay? I'll allow that. I think that's You giving fair. it to me? All right, good. If no Booker, Boston. If Booker comes back, Phoenix. Fair enough? I, I like that. So let's move to football right now. I'm going to have you cover the Giants today. I actually have Will Parkinson coming on after you. He covers the Jets on Twitter. Let's start with Kadarius Tony. Some news came out on him on Friday. Pat Leonard, who is a reporter for the Giants, said that the Giants were looking to trade Kadarius Toney. Now, it seems that that's possibly died down of late. Then on Saturday, it came out that they're more listening than shopping. Sunday, it came out that they want a significant return for Tony. And then yesterday, the Athletics' Dan Dugan reports Tony's attending Giants' voluntary workouts. Do you expect any movement for Kadarius Toney before draft time or even during the draft? I still think he will end up on the team. But let me make this clear. 
if this new regime believes that Tony's a malcontent and that they cannot work with him, I don't care if he was a first-round pick last year. That doesn't bother me. This is a brand spanking new regime. I don't think Joe Shane and Brian Dable give a you-know-what about players from the Dave Gettleman era, guys that were Dave Gettleman picks and players, dare I say, he was loyal to. They are coming in with a clean slate. That is how they should approach it. That is how they should handle it. I would prefer in a perfect world for Kadarius Tony to be on this giant team and be a weapon and use properly and actually stay on the field. But if they decide, hey, we can't win with this guy, then I'm going to trust this new regime and give him the benefit of the doubt. I agree, and it seems as if the regime is willing to clear house. And we'll get to Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, who are two Gettleman picks. Giants, two premier picks this year. They have the fifth pick in the draft. They have the seventh pick in the draft which is courtesy of the Chicago Bears trade when the Bears trade up and they get Justin Fields. Giants now have two top 10 picks, pick five, pick seven. You have to presume one of those picks will be an offensive lineman. What do you expect the G-men to do? The Giants have to get an offensive lineman. And they've tried to address the offensive line. They have failed miserably in trying to address the offensive line. They have an opportunity to go and get one of these three tackles, whether it's Iki Aquano out of NC State, whether it's Neal or whether it's Cross, they have to come away with one of those three offensive tackles with their first pick. There's, there's just no other way around it. The only, the only way I think it's a debate and a conversation is if Kayvon Thibodeau is on the board and do they think long and hard about taking Kayvon mm-hmm. Thibodeau if indeed he falls. Other than that, it is an easy call. Go and get a legitimate lineman that you can go put on the right side and maybe can be a starter for the next decade. So let's say they do a lineman with pick five. What would you expect them to do with pick seven? Because it seems like they do good have a good amount of needs. I wouldn't expect them to be taking probably not a quarterback, running back, or receiver. And then if they go with the lineman on five, offensive lineman that is, they could really do anything on, it seems, defense pick seven. I think you're looking at the corners, Sauce Gardner, Stingley, and especially when you consider the number that they are paying James Bradbury long-term. He is not going to be a corner for this team. I don't know if he's even going to survive the next month or so because of the salary cap. They need a corner. So that's the direction I'd go in. And then Johnson out of Florida State is another guy to watch because the Giants do need help on that defensive line. They go corner or defensive line, I'm going to have no complaints from a Giant perspective. And you nailed it. They have so many needs as a franchise that it's not about one position. Yes, you would want to come away with an offensive lineman. I think that's almost a must in many ways. But outside of that, they need help at corner. They need help at defensive end. They're, they're just a bad football team. And when you're a bad football team, draft time rolls around, you got a lot of needs. Yeah, and they do have a ton of needs. And it's funny because two years ago, this defense was a top 10 unit, fell off last year. The whole team in general really just fell flat on their face, especially when Daniel Jones went down last year. What's your confidence level that the Giants or that Daniel Jones is the answer or is the franchise quarterback for the Giants? Brian Dubal obviously takes over as the head coach. who rose to fame in Buffalo. I guess you could see some similarities with Josh Allen and Daniel Jones, right? The big arm, athletic, could run the ball. Do you have any confidence that the Giants and Brian Dubal could get Daniel Jones to become maybe not the next Josh Allen, but even if it's a poor man's Josh Allen? Uh, I'm not going that far. 
I would never in a million years pick up his fifth-year option. I think that would be a monumental mistake if the Giants go in that direction. Um, I think Daniel Jones will be better under this coaching staff. If they go and draft a lineman, Dable has done good work with quarterbacks. He did a fabulous job with Josh Allen, but expecting Daniel Jones to be Josh Allen, he is not. Um, I think the Giants are taking a quarterback next year. I just think that's the way this ultimately boils down. I think the Giants are going to be a bad football team again. They're going to be picking at the top of the draft, and they're going to be set up to go and get their quarterback. That's just the way I see it. I, I do not think Daniel Jones in five years, or in three years for that matter, is the quarterback in the New York Giants. No, I don't. I, I, think, I think it's a better year from Jones, but it's ultimately more of the same, and a team with a bad record and a much better quarterback crop go and, dare I say, get the guy they want and he face the franchise next year. It's pretty similar to the situation the Jets are in, right? The coaching staff isn't too committed to Jones. They did not use the draft pick on him. So they don't want to stick with him over a guy that they could get, could choose. Daniel Jones, though, in 38 career games, has 27 interceptions and 37 fumbles, 20 of them which he lost. He's been a turnover machine. And, J.J., you know you can't win with turnover. So I, I expect the Giants to move on from Jones next year. Another player that the Giants might move on from, Saquon Barkley, second pick in the draft a few years ago, and as a rookie, it looked like the Giants may have hit on him, but he has missed 22 games in the last three seasons. He missed four games last year, and even when he's been on the field, the product hasn't been what you'd want it to be. What do you, what do you see happening with Saquon? Well, it's a lesson. You never take a running back with the second pick in the draft. That's just that's all there is to it. You don't take a running back. It's two dime a dozen a position. I hated the pick at the time. Uh, I'm vindicated on that. Now, I would have taken Sam Darnold. That would not have worked out well from a Giant perspective, too. Let's be fair. But taking a running back where the Giants were at as a franchise was absolute lunacy. And I feel for Saquon. He's a likable dude. He's a hard worker. It hasn't worked out. And ultimately, I can't expect Saquon Barkley to be a major factor. He's missed way too much time. The injuries have taken their toll. I can't assume that Saquon Barkley is going to be a top five running back next year. Let's be honest. The Giants running the football last year looked better with Booker in the backfield than they did with Saquon Barkley. That's all you need to know. Funny enough, I think the Giants may have set that precedent that that no team ever again moving forward in NFL history will use a top two pick on a running back. Uh, unless your front office is coolest. I mean, that's, that's the only way you're going to go in that direction. And it's somewhat worked out for the Dallas Cowboys with Ezekiel Elliott. But I ask you this question. If you had a chance to go and get Jalen Ramsey or Ezekiel Elliott for the next seven, eight years, you go back to their draft, you're taking Jalen Ramsey. There are certain positions you should prioritize in the draft, and there are certain positions you should wait on. The running back position is one to wait on. I totally agree with you. I'd rather have Jalen. I think Tony Pollard at this point is, is better than Ezekiel Elliott, but the problem is Dallas is – committed to Zeke, they paid him, they still have to use him, but I think Tony Pollard's better than him at this point. 100%. He's got a lot more life in the legs, for sure. You're a Miami Dolphins fan, though, ironically enough, and you guys have probably made the biggest splash in the offseason, bringing Tyree Kill over. You pair him now with Jalen Waddell. We all know what the Dolphins' X factor is. It comes down to Tua. How do you feel as a Dolphins fan this year? I am very intrigued. First of all, they have set up Tua in a way they have not over his first two years. They signed the best offensive tackle in free agency in Armstead. They go and get 
arguably the most dynamic, if you know, a top five receiver in the sport in Tyreek Hill, to pair with Jalen Waddell, an offensive-minded coach, speed galore on the offense. It's make or break time for two. It's really as simple as that. I don't like putting, you know, a playoff mandate or something along those lines for, like, what the goal may be, but you're going to know. There's going to be a look and a feel for Tua in this offense. He either will have it or he will not. I've always been a believer. I think he's gotten a raw deal over the last couple of years. I'm expecting a major leap in year three. He's won games. He has a winning record as a quarterback. Yes, the talent around him is better than some of the other teams. It is interesting that you do like Tua here. He's obviously not a Justin Herbert. He's not a Joe Burrow. What type of quarterback do you, would you compare him to? I think he has better Chad Pennington written all over him. And Chad Pennington was a good quarterback. He, look, he does not have the sexy arm talent that a Herbert has. He's not as durable as Joe Burrow, and he hasn't won the way that Joe Burrow has won. I actually think Burrow is going to be the best of those three. I, I, there's an it factor about him that you want a quarterback. He has that about him. Um, I think Tua got the Drew Brees comparisons that were unfair because Drew Brees is a future Hall of Fame quarterback. I got to see if that hip is right, though, because the deep ball was not a problem for him at Alabama. It has been a problem his first two years in the league. Is he 100% right? Is he where he needs to be physically? Can he beat the Buffalo Bills? Can he play in cold weather? To make or break year three. That's the way the NFL works. We'll see if he delivers. And that's what it is. It is a make or break year for Tua. JJ, thank you for joining me. Great stuff as always. I really appreciate you coming on, and I would love to do it again one time. My pleasure. Thanks for a couple minutes, guys. Take care. Thank you, man. Have a good one, JJ. It's all my peoples in the struggle, you know what I'm saying? It's all good, baby, baby. Check it, check it. It was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. All right, baby, part two of episode three of the 77 WABC Sportscast. I'm MD. We got Will Parkinson, who covers the Jets on Twitter with us now. We'll do some Jets football, some draft stuff. Will, thanks for coming. Yeah, no, it's good to be on. So let's jump right into it. Draft on Thursday. I follow you on Twitter. I know you're a massive Jet fan. It's been cool to see you grow. Uh, Let's start with Debo Samuel. Obviously, the Jets have been linked to Debo. What do you think the chances are that A, Debo is traded, and then B, if he is traded, he lands on the New York Jets? Um, I guess from a from a Debo getting traded perspective, um, I mean, it's still crazy to me that San Francisco would trade him. Um, they've got, you know, in order to pay him, you know, he's obviously one of the most valuable weapons in the league. On top of that, they're obviously competing for a title. And, you know, with a basically a rookie quarterback coming in and Trey Lance next year, they've got Jimmy Garoppolo's $25 million coming off the books. They can easily move that and pay Debo. So um, a little curious kind of what's going on behind the scenes there. But in terms of getting traded, I'd say probably, I don't know, 50, 55% probably he gets moved. Um, I'm not convinced yet, but, you know, all signs point to him getting moved. And then from a Jets perspective, you know, it's hard not to think they're the favorite in terms of the draft capital, the connection, the ability to pay him, the needed wide receiver, all of those things line up. Um, you know, and the Jets obviously being aggressive in the Tyreek Hill sweepstakes, they're probably likely going to take a receiver at 10 if not. So there's a lot of connections there, but 
Um, you know, the the asking price has been floated, uh, been told to me and other people is two ones, and and I don't see the Jets, you know, making that move. Um, you know, I think ideally they'd like to do something similar to the Tyree Kill package, do 35, 38, and 69 for, um, or something of that nature. But yeah, no, I mean, I think the Jets are definitely very much in the mix. Obviously, everyone's connected the Jets, and, and rightfully so. But um, I would say maybe 20% he's a Jet. Um, I'm, I'm not quite as confident as, as some other folks, but um, you know, we'll see. Sometimes when a team looks too obvious, they usually don't get moved there. So some news came out last week. Jets GM Joe Douglas said Makai Becton is not participating in voluntary workouts. He's working out and rehabbing on his own in Dallas. Obviously, these workouts are voluntary, but after playing just one game last year, it's hard in week one. The timetable was like seven or eight weeks for, for Becton last year, but he never returned. Seems like he came into camp last year out of shape, but if you look at his PFF grades, they, they were good his rookie season. Seven penalties, which was tied for ninth in the league. Seven sacks allowed, fifth in the league. What do you think the likelihood is that the Jets trade Becton? Yeah, the Becton thing's tough, man. I, I, it's it's a bit difficult because in a vacuum, really good as a rookie. Um, you know, at his moments where he's banged up and things of that nature, but really good generally as a rookie, show a lot of promise. Um, I don't think the the concerns around Makai Becton have to do with the injury um, of him missing the year. Although, yes, it was frustrating. It was a bit of bit on both sides. I think the rehab went slower than the Jets were expecting. The injury may have been a bit worse from what I've heard. Um, than people thought, but I think the real issue is is a lot more mental and a lot more of um, you know this staff didn't draft Makai Becton. They're not super high on him. They were pretty outspokenly critical of him during camping. Michael Floor, who hasn't really doesn't say a lot, um, was pretty critical in, in, up in Green Bay. Uh, you know when they were there, and you know that Carl Lawson was uh, was working Makai Becton big time during camp. And yes, it's iron sharpens iron and all that, but it, it was pretty. It was pretty apparent, um, you know, with both injuries and just the mental stuff, some maturity stuff they'd like to see from him. I don't know. We'll see if he gets traded. I think the only way he gets moved is if they take Icky Aquanu at four, the uh, tackle out of North Carolina State. We'll see. The stuff's kind of getting floated. Dane Brugler today, who covers the draft of the athletic, one of the best in the business, you know, said he thinks, you know, he's played his last snap as a Jet. Wow. Um, you know, I, I heard some things at the Combine – very similar to that. I'd be interested to see what happens um, with Becton because the I think the staff would like to move on and, and draft a new offensive lineman. I think Joe Douglas, and actually I know Joe Douglas is somebody that's prideful and a bit stubborn about you know want to make it work. Um, so it's going to be basically you know I think it'll be a decision we'll find out on draft night. You know whether Mikhail Becton is going to be a Jet. If you know if they draft an offensive lineman at four, it's hard to con- kind of uh, rationalize having a one of the most expensive offensive lines in football you know, as three straight years of top 15 picks, but also, um, you know, making sure to have three of those guys. So I think if Becton gets traded, it'll be on draft night on Thursday or Friday night. But yeah, the Becton stuff's unfortunate and frustrating because you'd love to be able to go into pick four um, and not have to worry about, you know, potentially drafting another offensive lineman. As much as it's important, um, it's a lot of draft capital invested in one spot. What do you think the market is for Becton at this point? Do you think they could net a late first round pick this year or next year? It'll be interesting. I think there's certain teams. If you look at, you know, I'd say look at Dallas or, um, you know, as, as just an example, at pick 24, everything I've heard, there's a good chance they could go offensive line at 24. A guy like Tyler Smith out of Tulsa, and if, you know, if they were willing to go Tyler Smith, you would assume they'd be interested in Makai Becton, right? I think you could definitely get a top 60 pick for him. Um, it'll be a matter too of whether the Jets, uh, you know, look to get capital for this year. 
Uh, with Beckton or push into the future, there's a lot of, you know, buzz. They'd like to add some picks in the 2023 draft as well. They could be something where, you know, they push, they get a, a, you know, a future first or a conditional first for him. Um, if they want to push into 2023, and I think more likely um, they would get a top 60 pick, maybe a second round pick for Beckton if they want to get us this year. Jets, obviously a ton of, ton of picks this year. I will say, despite the Jets probably being the laughing stock of the league for the last decade, Joe Douglas has done a good job acquiring draft picks. They have the number four pick. They have the number 10 pick, which is from Seattle, still reaping the benefits of that Jamal Adams deal. And then you have the two early second round picks, one from Carolina, which was the Sam Darnold deal, which was another great move. So the Jets have done a good job stockpiling draft picks. Now you have to hit on them. What do you expect the Jets to do at four and 10? I know you just flirted the idea around of alignment at four. What what do you expect though when when draft night comes the Jets to do at four and ten? Yeah, so I would say um, at four, I would say three names. The three names to watch are Icky Aquanu, uh, North Carolina State's offensive lineman. Then you look at Kayvon Thibodeau, um, Oregon, you know, edge rusher. I, I think he's still the favorite for me. Um, and then you know the third name to watch is a potential is Jermaine Johnson, uh, edge rusher out of Florida State, fits the scheme really well. Um, you know, fifth-year senior out of Florida State, only one year of production, uh, but strong in the run, got a really good get-off. He fits the scheme perfectly. I, I just would be shocked if they don't go with an edge player, I mean, with a trench player at four. Douglas believes in the trenches. Salah believes in it. They still need work at edge and, and offensive line. So, you know, I would expect that there. Ten's a bit tricky. I think the overwhelming favor would be someone like Drake London, the wide receiver at USC. Um, you know, big basketball, power forward body, really good after the catch, good in the short intermediate game can play in the slot, can play that X position, would be a real big, you know, addition for this offense. Um, Jameson Williams is another name that's been floated. The only concern there with Williams is he's not likely to be able to participate and be back in game action until at least October, potentially November with the torn ACL. Dynamic players probably, without the injury, the first receiver drafted, there's a chance he goes to Atlanta, but, you know, he's a name to watch. He would fit the Jets very well. It's just, can they afford to draft someone who's not going to be playing you know, with their second-year quarterback needing to take a leap until, uh, you know, week eight or nine. Um, so those are the two picks I would say, you know, right now, if I had to put my money on it, I'd say it'd be Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon and then Drake London out of USC. Those are the names I've heard the most around the Jets building. Um, there's a good chance, though, if Ike Aquano's on the board, they go him at four. And, um, you know, depending upon that, Jermaine Johnson could flip to 10. Um, and, and, you know, when it comes to the corners, Derek Stingley and, and Sauce Gardner, um, both I don't think will be you know, available at 10, uh, but those are names they could look at as well if they get there. It doesn't seem like there's any franchise-changing quarterbacks this year. You, you would say the Panthers at 6 probably look like the best team or the best chance of a team to take a quarterback there. Giants at 5, Jets at 4. Would you anticipate potentially any team trying to jump Carolina and take a quarterback with the 4th or 5th pick? Potentially, I think the Giants would like to move back at some point. I think they'd like to stay at five and move back from seven, potentially. I'm not sure that someone's going to move up past past six with Carolina. Um, I think it's more likely, you know, if you see some team hop up at eight, nine, or ten, um, you know, there's been some stuff with the Eagles at 15. You could see the Saints potentially moving up. I don't think this quarterback class is good enough where a team is going to move up 12, 13, 14 mm-hmm. spots for a quarterback. Willis and Pickett are okay. I'm not sure. You know, there's the ceiling with Malik Willis, the, the floor, you know, the more Mac Jones type of floor with a guy like Kenny Pickett, but he's already 24 years old. 
Um, you know, he's only a year younger than or a year older or younger. I apologize. than Sam Darnold already is and Sam Darnold's in year five. Huh. Um, so, you know, you're, we'll see. I just think with Baker and Jimmy G out there with the next year's quarterback class, as good as it can, you know, looking like that 2021 class from last year where you got four or five, you know, round one guys, I think you'll see those two guys go, but I think it'll be maybe at six. And then if not, it'll be in the teens somewhere. Um, and then, you know, pick 32, you can see the Lions go with someone like Desmond Ritter, Sam Howell, maybe even a Matt Corral. Uh, one of those guys sneaking in the back, uh, you know, last pick of the first round, Detroit, maybe taking a flyer on a quarterback before, uh, you know, to balance out Jared Goff, see if it works. If not, you know, kind of retool and, you know, go up next year. What's your expectations for the Jets this year? Obviously, it seems like they are trending in the direction, right direction. It seems like Joe Douglas and Robert Sala at least have a plan. They hit on some draft picks last year. They have a ton of draft picks this year. You'd hope they get at least four starters from this year's draft class. To me, the Jets' outlook's pretty simple. It seems like they'll kind of go as far as Zach Wilson takes them. But what's your confidence level with the Jets this year? Um, let's, you know, we'll see. I think a player like a Debo Samuel changes things, right? Or they were able to come out of the draft and, you know, really hit a home run. That, that'll be the, excuse me, determining factor. They're getting, you know, a majority of their free agency class that was pretty banged up last year back from 2021, Corey Davis, Carl Lawson, you know, four or five, hopefully starters out of this draft. You know, they have, they have five top hundred picks. There is no excuse um, and seven in the top, you know, 120 to not get four or five stars out of this draft. But at the end of the day, you mentioned it, it all, it all comes down to Zach Wilson, right? If Zach Wilson takes a big step, um, I'm not asking for, I don't think anyone's asking for a Joe Burrow type step in year two to go from, um, you know, good to a top five quarterback. I think if you could take, you know, you could see Zach go from the 29th or 30th best quarterback to the 18th best quarterback or 17 in that kind of middle of the pack, take a big step. Um, you know, hit that 20, 25 touchdown mark, keep the interceptions down, but, you know, make plays, you know, hopefully get over the 3,000 yard marks and then the Jets quarterbacks have clearly uh, struggled with. Mm-hmm. I think you could see the Jets win seven or eight games. I think they've got to win games early in the year. They've got to take care of business against teams like Detroit, Houston, um, Detroit, Jacksonville, um, you know, Minnesota, teams like that that are that are winnable games, um, you know, outside of the division. And then you got to win, you know, got to win some of the division. The Patriots have, um, had a very interesting offseason and not in the most positive way. I think they've they've regressed a bit. Um, you know, and then you look at Miami, they've added Tyreek Hill but and Teron Armstead, but there's still a lot of questions at quarterback, at offensive line, at um, you know, you have no idea what you're getting with their head coach. So the Jets need to, you know, they should be a seven or eight win team, I think comfortably. I think six is probably the floor. I think if you feel really good that Zach Wilson could take a huge step and they hit the draft out of the park, maybe they acquire Debo. You know, maybe it's a nine-win team, but I think they're one year away from being a playoff contender or getting, you know, being a, a potential playoff team. But um, you never know. Teams like the Bengals, you saw last year, right? They um, they were kind of in a similar spot. Maybe people saw maybe a seven, eight-win team. I think their over/under was either five and a half or six and a half. They end up winning ten or eleven games, um, get to the Super Bowl. So they got to have this free agency class hit, which looked good on paper. They got to get guys like Carl Lawson, Corey Davis back at least for a majority of the year. And if Zach Wilson takes a step, I think they're, you know, more like a nine-win team. If he does not, if he struggles, they're probably going to be a five- or six-win team uh, at best. What is your confidence level in Zach? Because if, if you watched him play last year, obviously, and I know you did, but anybody that didn't watch him play too much last year, I guess it was somewhat the tale of two tapes for him. First half of the year, he made a ton of rookie mistakes. He did not look like he was worth the second pick. But as the year went on, he did get better. He started to use his legs more. He looked like he got a little more comfortable in the second half of the season. 
what is your confidence level that Zach Wilson is a franchise quarterback? Objectively, like a six and a half, maybe a seven. Um, I don't think you can feel as confident as you felt coming out of the draft. I think um, it was there was concerning moments last year, especially you know skipping screen passes and mm-hmm. just making mistakes and feeling like he was trying to be a hero. Um, I think that's a good part of his game, but I think that I think coming back from the injury, you're able to see him settle down. You know, we saw guys like Mike White, Joe Flacco operate the offense in a veteran manner. Um, you know, taking the check downs, getting the ball in the hands of the backs and tight ends and things of that nature. Um, the Tampa Bay game is the game you kind of go to and say, this is the blueprint. Um, you know, the mix of that. Obviously, the Tennessee game was very exciting early in the year. Um, a couple of big plays. But, you yeah, know, I think that could be the guy. I think, you know, he looks like he's put on some weight. Everyone I've talked to around the building is, you know, is excited with what he's done. He's taking this maturity, this leadership, um, you know, this leadership approach kind of as Joe Douglas called it the other day, this world tour of, you know, going around and working out with his receivers. So that's a huge positive. Um, but we've, you know, as a Jets fan or as someone that's covering the Jets or the league in general, you've seen this happen to Jets a lot. You know, people that remember the franchise, you know, uh, camp out in LA and Darnold had the same thing. You want to see it on, you want to see it happen on, you know, on the field and, um, you know, getting Zach some more weapons, getting him easy throws, protecting him and building some chemistry. I just think that's one of the biggest things too is, they got down early in games. They made a difficult attack. And, um, you know, the Philly game is the game you kind of look to uh, if you're, you know, thinking how can we get this first half rolling? Um, you know, three. I think you had three touchdowns total, two through the air and, and one on the ground. Looks really good. And then went and then didn't get to really play uh, play offense in the second half because the defense was on the field the whole time. So it'll be a collective team effort, but I'd say six and a half, seven right now. He's got a really good chance to be really good. He's got the talent to do so. Uh, it's just going to be putting it together and you know making sure the Jets surround him with as many pieces as possible to make sure he's successful. And I'll give you a one or two miscellaneous questions, and then I'll let you go. Browns pick up Deshaun Watson, which, which all but ends Baker's tenure in Cleveland. Obviously, the teams that pop off the page, similar to the Jimmy G sweepstakes, right? Seattle makes sense, potentially maybe in Atlanta. Where do you, where do you think happens to Baker? You think it happens on draft night? Um, I think it could happen. You could see it happen potentially day two or day three of the draft. Um, I'd be shocked to be one for more in the fourth round pick at this point, based on kind of what Matt Ryan went for, the the lack of leverage, frankly, Cleveland has. Cleveland must know Deshaun's not going to get suspended. If you're going to move Baker uh, at some point, you have to think, right? You know, the way his contract was structured, it seemed like he'd be suspended. But, um, you know, I know it's a bit toxic there, but you have to think, like, wouldn't you like to have a backup quarterback the quality of Baker Mayfield for when your quarterback is suspended? But, um, taking that out of the picture, I think the two only two spots I really see at this point, um, you know, I don't think Houston's going to make a move on Baker. Could happen. We'll see. But the two ones are Seattle and, and Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, would be pretty funny as a football fan to see Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield battling it out huh. four years after being picked in the top three. Um, and then you look at Seattle. Still a, a win-now roster. Um, they've got three top 41 picks. You know, they could part with a day three pick. They've got cap space. Um, Baker objectively is still better than Drew Locke. He's, you know, he functions better in that, um, you know, good defense, run game. Pete Carroll wants to operate. So Seattle seems like a no-brainer to me. Um, the only way that I would say that doesn't happen is if they draft him a week, Willis, Kenny Pickett, uh, Matt Corral type uh, on Thursday night. you have a favorite skill player coming out of the draft that maybe not everybody's talking about right now? Interesting. Favorite skill player? Damian Pierce out of Florida. Um, he's a guy I've linked with the Jets a bunch. They, you know, he was, you know, at the Senior Bowl. Um, somebody that just absolute. Anyone that watches NFL Network um, and watches Angry Runs, a guy that will be on Angry Runs next year for sure. 
um, physical, physical and pass pro catches the ball, physical, you know, at the contact point, lowering his shoulder, wants, you know, embraces contact, wants that contact. He'll be a guy that goes on day three that, you know, is a fourth round pick potentially, but, you know, he'll be, he'll be an impact player in fantasy for folks and, and things of that nature. Um, Calvin Austin, um, wide receiver, a much smaller guy, kind of reminds you people of maybe a Braxton Berrios or Elijah Moore for a Jeff Camp perspective in terms of, you know, the short area quickness, um, more of a slot guy, but he's somebody that <clears throat> strikes the, you know, is was impressive in the uh, senior bowl. And one more name, Bo Melton, uh, wide receiver out of Rutgers, um, you know, tested off the charts, a guy that I know the Jets have some interest in. We'll see what happens there, but he'll be a name that I think, um, you know, I'll be, I'll be interested to see what happens with him. So Pierce, Damian Pierce out of Florida, Bo Melton out of Rutgers, Calvin Austin out of Memphis are three guys that will probably be day three picks that I, I could see doing some damage next year. Awesome. And then, Will, I actually got to ask you one more question before we go. I know you're a Brooklyn Nets fan. What the hell happened to your Nets, man? <laughs> Kyrie Irving, you know, is uh, taketh and he, you know, and he gives it away. It's, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. I thought, you know, you look at the series, they lost by a total of 18 points, should have won game one. Definitely should have won game two. You know, all these self-inflicted wounds in game three. Um, you know, Nick Claxton in the series, I believe, went three of 24 shooting free throws. Incredible. Um, one of the worst percentages in the history of the NBA playoffs, I believe, for a series. You know, to lose by a total of 18 points and one guy missed 21 free throws in a series is tough. But I just thought the effort level from Kyrie was it was incredibly disappointing. Um, you know, it was awesome game one. They should have won. Obviously, they lose the buzzer. And, you know, you're, you're saying some obscenities to fans and flipping them off and to basically be a no-show the next three nights when Katie's getting trip, doubled and tripled every play. I know Katie will take the hit, you know, on his legacy and things of that nature. Um, I guess it's deserved when you're that good. It's, you know, people expect more of you, but it's it's just tough from a Kyrie Irving perspective to kind of just to sit with the way you watched last night and then him come on, you know, right after the game and say, you know, he's going to be the assistant GM. Um, giving yourself a promotion after you played pretty poorly and not sh- and didn't show up is a interesting move. But um, you know now they have the two biggest head cases in sports and Kyrie and Ben Simmons on the same team. So it's unfortunate, man. But having KD is fun to watch, and you have to hope they can retool this summer and you know uh, make a move to try to compete next year with Milwaukee and Boston. I agree with you. Uh, the better team won at the end of the day. Will you were awesome, man. I definitely want to make this a weekly thing. You were great. We'll keep in touch. Great stuff. Maybe we'll do something next week, a post-draft uh, podcast. But thanks for coming on, man. You were awesome. Yeah, yeah absolutely, man. Hopefully the Jets, uh, you know, Jets kill it on uh, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, and we'll talk about it next week. Perfect. Thank you, Will. Thanks, Nick.